should always be the goal of our courts to seek the truth. We talked about this a little bit last week when we, when we had this initial meeting that Jesus had with the Sanhedrin, which is the, you might consider them the lower courts. It's the, it's the Jewish courts, the highest court when it comes to uh, the Jews, but it's, it's the lowest court when it comes to the government. It's the local uh, Jewish court. And when we think about that, when we think about this idea the, of, of the courts, that our, the goal should always be to seek truth. But here's what we can discover and what we'll discover in the scriptures. There will be some who don't care about the truth. They're not interested in it. They don't care about it. There's going to be some who will willfully oppose the truth. They're, not only do they not care about it, they're, they're going to actually do anything that they can to oppose the truth. Then there are some who will flat out lie with their hands still on the Bible. That's what we see with the religious leaders. They know God's word. They affirm God's word. But yet they'll flat out lie with their hands still on the Bible. That's what we see. For this morning, there's two key points. And we'll, we'll probably spend a lot of time mostly on key point number one. But here's the thing. Key point number one for us this morning is this. The courts, when we look at the courts, there is no justice where there is no truth. We looked again uh, uh, last week. Luke shares three different court hearings with us. Uh, and we have already looked at the first court appearance last week. Jesus brought before Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest of the Sanhedrin. Then he brings in the whole uh, Sanhedrin. Uh, we might think of him, again, as the, lowest, the lower courts, the Jewish court. Um, but it, uh, they want to know if Jesus was truly claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus affirms, not only does he make this claim, but he uses the title for himself that he is the Son of Man. Now, this, you may recall, they did what? They rejected the truth. That's what they did. They rejected the truth. The next court that we come to is the court before Pontius Pilate. He's the governor of Judea. And that's where we pick up this morning. Luke chapter 23. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. Verse 1 says, Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. If you look on your maps, that we've got a couple maps on each of the tables. If you want to know exactly where that's at, Pilate's residence is on the western side of the city along the wall, and it is uh, called Herod's Palace. You would think that this is where Herod's at. This is not. His dad actually had the palace built. Uh, so Herod Antipas, which we will look at here shortly, uh, lives elsewhere. But this is Pontius Pilate's home. So they're bringing him to his house on the western wall there. Uh, you can kind of see like a big courtyard and a house and a little palace uh, that's there for Pilate. And that's where they're bringing him. So if you, if you consider this, Jesus was in the upper room, went around to the Garden of Gethsemane. Then they bring him back in to Caiaphas's house, which is like just north of the upper room. And then from Caiaphas, they're bringing him over to Pilate. Verse 2, and they began to accuse Jesus, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, 
beginning from Galilee to this place. Pilate, um, being the governor over Judea, he is now the fifth appointed Roman governor over Judea. That's over, over about a 20-year period. He wasn't Jewish. He wasn't interested in their concerns. He wasn't interested or even concerned with the fact that Jesus might consider himself their Messiah. He just doesn't care. Why would he care if they have a Messiah or not? What he would care about, maybe a little bit more, is if he claimed to be a king and posed a legitimate threat to the Roman government. So the accusation against Jesus is to portray him as disloyal to the Roman government. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> the, the people that are bringing Jesus in, uh, they are, these are Jewish religious leaders who hated the Roman government. And yet they're bringing Jesus in and saying, this guy doesn't support you. It's, it's like, uh, we, we support you. And you know they don't. You know they don't. But here they are bringing Jesus in to accuse him. And Pilate seems to be aware. He seems to be aware that the charges are nothing but a sham. Uh, he knows that. He sees it. Uh, in fact, another gospel writer tells us uh, this. He tells us that Pilate... Um, but they wanted to present it in such a way that they would say, Pilate, if you don't condemn him, you're not loyal to the Roman government. I mean, they're trying to put him in this position where, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't do anything, here was, a, here was a threat against the Roman government, and you didn't do anything, and if you, by not doing anything, you're guilty. And they're trying to put him in that type of position. And so, he ha you know, they're, they're saying you have to condemn Jesus. It seems that Pilate saw their manipulation. He saw what they were doing, and he was looking for a way out. But here's what that means for us when we consider all of, of what's taking place. While the Jewish leaders rejected truth, here's what Pilate did. Pilate could see through things, and he knew the truth. He even said, I see no fault in this man, but he refused to stand on truth. That's what he did. He refused to stand on he, he saw it. He could see what they were doing. He could see the manipulation. He could see that it was a sham. All he had to do was stand his ground and say, no, we're going to stand on truth. We're not going to just, we're not just going to do whatever you suggest just because you demand and what you want. You know, he doesn't do that. And he refused to just simply stand on truth. He was looking for an opportunity to get out from this. He examined Jesus. He, in his own words, says that he found no fault in him. Isn't that interesting? Now, why, why is that significant? Remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem, what's taking place? The lamb has been selected. What's got to happen? The lamb has to be examined. The lamb has to be looked over thoroughly. And then he has to be pronounced that there is no fault in the lamb. And what does Pilate do? After having examined Jesus, he says, I find no fault in him. He is, he is a perfect lamb for a sacrifice. There is no fault in him. Now, let me just say this. Um, even though he didn't want to stand firm on the truth, and he looked for another way out, for us, truth is always the best option. Truth should always be our best option. Whenever we have that... Uh, you know, presented with truth and we have to ask ourselves what are, what are we to do don't look for another, op uh, another, another option don't look for an alternative 
Stand on the truth. Stand on what you know is true. Pilate starts looking for an alternative. He starts looking for a way out. How can I get it out of this? How can I, how can I please this group of people who are upset with Jesus? How can I, how can I keep people happy and, and not have to deal with this? And he looks for an alternative. Listen, when you know the truth, stand firm. When you know the truth, stand firm on the truth. Always stand on the truth. Let's pick back up verse 6. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man or Jesus were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged in Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now keep in mind, why would Herod be there? Well, it's Passover. Herod has come down from, if you remember the big map that we had uh, on the background, you might have a map on your, on your table, a map of Jerusalem. You remember Herod, is, he's the governor up at the top in the Galilee area. And then we have Pilate, he's governor down here in Judea. And Pilate's going, ah, if, he's, you know, if Jesus is from Galilee, this is my out. I don't have to worry about standing on the truth. This is my opportunity to get out of this. And what does he do? He tries to pass the buck to someone else. He gets it uh, sent over uh, to Herod. So at this point, at this point in the narrative, hear me on this. Justice is already being swayed. We're, we're no longer pursuing truth. We're just looking at personal interest. The, the, the Jewish leaders, personal interest. Pilate knows the truth. But he's not interested in it. He just wants to, he doesn't want to stand on the truth. He should have stood on the truth. And he should have had the ruling in favor of Jesus because he found no fault in him. But he doesn't stand firm. Look at verse 8. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him. And he had hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. Now, Herod Antipas was excited about meeting Jesus, right? I mean, we see it right here in the passage. He was exceedingly glad. He was excited about this. But here's why. He simply wanted Jesus to entertain him. Almost like a court jester. He just saw Jesus as somebody, hey, I hear you can do miracles. You know, you're here in front of me. Perform, perform for me. Do something that that would be miraculous. And here's what's interesting. Jesus is not amused and just simply ignores Herod's request. He doesn't even acknowledge it. He doesn't even say, he doesn't even, he doesn't even waste his breath because he knows that this guy just sees him as nothing more than a court jester there to entertain him. Jesus doesn't even, doesn't even acknowledge him. Verse 10, and the chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused Jesus. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. And when we, when we consider that, this is, the, this is the court of jurisdiction, right? They weren't interested in truth. They weren't interested. In fact, they were nothing more than a circus. I mean, that's what Herod, Herod's court was a circus. 
It was just a place of, hey, come and amuse me. Come and entertain me. Come and you know, do something for me. I want something out of this. It was a circus. They had their own agenda. When, when we turn our courts into a circus, when we do so, when we ignore the truth and we pursue our own pleasures. That's turning our court system into a circus. When Herod decides that Jesus isn't useful for his own amusement, for his own agenda, what does he do? Send him back. Send him back. He's not going to amuse me. He's not going to perform a miracle for me. I have no use for him. He's not going to help me with what I want. I'm done with him. Send him back to Pilate. Verse 13, then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. Neither, no, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. Now, if you're following on the map, where did all this happen? You're going to see that Jesus was taken uh, from Caiaphas' house over to Herod's palace, which is, which is Pilate's uh, palace. Then they took him to go direct east. You're going to see Herod. You're going to see where Herod was at, the old palace there for Herod. Now, when Herod sends him back to Pilate, he doesn't send him back to his residence. He's actually going to send him back to his headquarters. Well, where is his headquarters? His headquarters is at the top of the Temple Mount. If you look at the top of the Temple Mount, you're going to see this little, uh, little rectangle in the top left-hand corner, and it's called the Fortress of Antonia. This is the headquarters of the Roman guard. This is where, all, this is the, this is where the Roman government does their operations. This is where the courthouse would be. This is where they come and they, people come and assemble. This is where all that's happening. Isn't it interesting? Look what it's right next to. It's right next to the sheep gate, and it's right next to where all the sheep are, going, you know, are, are being prepared for slaughter. And that's where Jesus is going to be scourged. This is where he's going to be beaten. This is where he's going to have a crown of thorns placed upon his head. And this is where he's going to begin the walk of the Via Dolorosa. And we pick back up, verse 18, they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city, and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. I would therefore chastise him and let him go. What's he saying? He says, I, listen, I'll, we'll, we'll beat him. We'll, we'll scourge him. We'll, we'll make an example out of him. We will humiliate him so that he doesn't do this anymore, and then we'll release him. And they were not satisfied, but they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them 
the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. It's fascinating as we think about this. There's, we've seen the three courts now, right? We've seen, you know, the, we've seen the court of the Sanhedrin. We see the court of Pilate. We see the court of Herod. We even see him returned back to Pilate. But you notice there was one more court. There was, there was another one there. One more court. And it, it, we can almost miss it. It isn't the court of the Sanhedrin. It's not the court of Pilate. It isn't the court of Herod. When those leaders rejected truth, when they refused to stand on truth, when they simply abandoned truth, do you know what they turned to? The court of public opinion. That's what they turned to. The court of public opinion. Okay, well, I'll just give in to what people want. Whatever, whatever they want. Understand this. That's exactly what they do, and that's not how we seek justice. We don't seek justice by just going what's popular with people. We seek truth. It's here in the court of public opinion that the crowd shouts, crucify him, crucify him. And as a result, Jesus was unjustly beaten and then sentenced to death. You know, it's likely that when Jesus was returned to Pilate, that as we said earlier, he was at the fortress of Antonia. Uh, The fortress of Antonia was actually built by uh, Herod the Great. So Herod and Antipas, the guy, that's his son. So his Herod Antipas, his dad was the one who had the fortress built. His dad was the one who had Herod's palace built. His dad was the one that had done all of these things. But I want you to consider and consider the fact that here we have Jesus presented as the Lamb of God, gone through all the courts, nothing, nothing, no fault found within him, standing next to the very place where the sacrificial lambs would be declared spotless. And then from there, Jesus begins a walk, a walk down the Via Dolorosa. Via Dolorosa is the Latin term that means the way of suffering. Uh, It's a reference to that path, the path that Jesus took. Uh, He has already been beaten. He has been condemned to, to die at Golgotha by way of crucifix. Before we continue with key point number two, I want us to consider Jesus' journey to that cross. I've asked Cheryl if she would uh, sing, but I've asked her just to stay in the back. And here's why. I want you instead to think about this journey that Jesus has been on. On the backdrop, we have the, the scenes that we have been following through the city of Jerusalem. And on the screen, we will show scenes of Jesus walking the Via Dolorosa, uh, from scenes from the Passion of the Christ. I will say this, that as we, as we watch the video, it is quite graphic, um, you know, so little ones might want to look the other way and, uh, and not see that, because it is, it is a, a, it's a challenging thing to see. But I want you to consider the journey, Jesus' journey to the cross down the Via Dolorosa. <laughs> 